0: Job chapter 42 is where we get to turn again. Job 42 and verse 10, things are about to change for Job, and that is a good a good situation. We're grateful for God's leadership and care for Job all throughout this whole experience that uh, in our time has only taken a few months. How long did it take for Job? Probably a few months as well from the beginning, chapter 1, to the end, chapter 42. But even then, there's several more years of his life from the perspective of of where we are in the the study of Job right now. But we see that God is restoring or turning the fortunes of Job. In fact, how about if I just read this text, um, and then we'll, we'll look at it more carefully. Verse 10 is where we pick up. And Yahweh restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And Yahweh increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the calamity that Yahweh had brought on him. And each one gave him one casita and one ring, and each a ring of gold. And Yahweh blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 pairs of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he named the first Jemaimon, the second Kezia, and the third Kerenhapuch. Now in all the land, no woman were found so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. Then Job died, an old man and full of days. God and His kindness restored the fortunes. This wasn't, this does not follow along our, our pattern as the friends had suggested that, that somehow prosperity follows piety. And now that Job is pious again, God prospered him. Now there, there's an entire disconnect. There's, there's no relation to that. Ultimately and etern- eternally, there will be a, a a sowing and reaping principle, very much, very carefully assigned by God, such that those who are in Christ will have eternal life. We have it now, of course, in Christ, but, but those who do not have Christ, there's nothing to look forward to for them. There's no life, there's death, there's a separation from God. So there is that kind of a justice, that implementation or execution of justice that will be perfect in that day, the future day, but now... If you don't mind the saying, good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. Did we say that? Did we get all the different iterations? I don't know. If I didn't, fill it out. But you see that there's not a one-to-one relationship. Well, you do this and you're going to be cursed. Like the old little rhyme, I don't know, we have so many cracks in our our floor, but um, step on a crack, you break your mother's back, is that how it goes? I mean, the, the one-to-one, the cause effect, that's what the friends thought and, and held forward. And they said, well, Job, the reason you're suffering so much is because you're just a nasty, mean old sinner. And, and uh, he said, no, I'm not. I'm actually uh, good. I, I have integrity. Somehow God either is not just toward me or certainly hasn't done justly by me. Anyway, all that has we have dealt with and we've, we've faced that. And Job has come face-to-face to face to, with God and didn't receive the answers that he was expecting and demanding even, but he did come to realize and rest in that knowledge that God is God. I'm not God. I'm going to leave it to him. He's sovereign. He's wise. He's just. He will bring his will, his good and perfect will, to pass in his time and for his own glory. And so when Job acknowledged that back at the beginning of the chapter, in terms of Job's attitude and perspective on life, it was different. Now, he was still... Impoverished, He was still with all of his, his wounds and boils and the estrangement from family and friends. But in terms of his relationship with God, secure, absolutely pleasant. Uh, and pleasant is kind of a mild word, but it means everything that is good and wholesome. Now, after Job prayed for his friends, and we looked at that last time, because they had not spoken rightly of, of Yahweh as as Job had, Job prayed for them. And it says here, verse 10 Yahweh restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends so we see that God is answering in, in more than just the one way God, you know, Job prayed God would you please forgive my friends they spoke like I spoke foolishly they spoke in error their error was compounded though because it ri- misrepresented God it showed partiality toward God and uh, just spoke things that were not true about God and so they had to offer sacrifices remember worth of sacrifice in that economy, uh, and each of them. And so the sacrifice and the intercession, as Job presented, God said, okay, I'm going to accept them, accept Job's prayer on behalf of them, and I'm going to accept, well, he's already accepted Job, but as a a gracious gift to Job, not a a cause-effect kind of thing, but a gracious, merciful, uh, well, gracious, uh, kind benefit of just lavishing on Job more than he had at the beginning. Notice it says Yahweh increased all that Job had twofold. Now, you don't always have a happy ending. And some people find fault with maybe some Christian stories or Christian movies that that are just so unbelievably good. I mean, everything turns out, you know, they get the whatever and they get that and everything just went and there's nothing bad in their life from here on. Well, that's maybe not so realistic. All right, we expect to have a little bit of rain, right? You can't have flowers without some rain. You can't have rainbows without the, without the rain. And so uh, and you can feel that analogy out in different ways. But we see that God was, from that point, point on, from that moment on, he increased all that Job had twice more than he had to start with. It didn't happen all at once. It wasn't like God said, okay, behold, 14,000 sheep. No, he gradually added them such that at the end of his life, which was at least 140 years later, there's some contest of what is that number representing or referring to. We'll look at that when we get to it. But at the end of his life, this is what he had, double of what he had before. And so God was so kind. Some people make the point that, oh, doubling, that kind of reminds us of a statement in the Mosaic Law that talks about a robber, when a robber steals something, that he needs to restore double, uh, pay back double for whatever he stole. That is uh, Deuteronomy 15. Uh, excuse me, that is, where is that? Well, Deuteronomy 15, I guess that's one way it is talked about. There's another time. Let's, I don't know, there's other double uh, punishments, double blessings that God uh, presents to him. remember when well there's other examples of this doubling God is so kind to not just give him back what he had but to give him uh, more than that when he prayed for his friends that intercession that thinking of other people as more important than himself and so forth so Yahweh is the one who gave at the first place Yahweh is the one who took in the second place God is the one now who gave again back to Job now it says here uh, verse uh, 11 that there is this is the beginning of a fourfold well it's twofold, but there are four different ways, four different categories of life in which God restores or turns the fortunes of Job. This first one has to do with his social standing. Verse 11 talks about his relationships. He's talking about his brothers and all of his sisters and all who had known him before. Well, well, they came to him and they had a meal with him did they eat Job's food? Well, Job didn't have anything. Did they bring their own? Was it a picnic? I don't know what it was, but they ate bread with him. Very important meal, fellowship, identifying with him, sharing life with him, having a a support intent with him. It says in the next little part of this verse that they came to console and comfort him. But they came, brothers and sisters. We we see him refer to his brothers before in even in the course of this this his speeches beginning in uh, chapter six, for example, he says, my brothers, verse 15, my brothers have betrayed me like a wadi, like the torrents of wadis, which pass away. And you think, I don't know what is, a wadi, what is a wadi. A wadi is a, is a riverbed or a creek bed that is usually dry, except when it rains, usually up in the mountains and, and the rain comes down and just immediately goes from dry to overflowing sometimes. And then it goes back to this. So he says, my, my brothers have become like wadis where you go down and you expect water and there's no water. And then maybe when there is, uh, when you're not expecting water, you're hoping to cross over on dry ground. And then it's just torrential, whatever, unpredictable, unreliable. My brothers have left me high and dry, kind of thing. Nineteen, chapter nineteen, verse thirteen. He says he has removed, he always removed my brothers far from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. And then he says I am loathsome to my own brothers. In verse seventeen, chapter nineteen. So these brothers have held themselves away from Job during this whole uh, crushing moment or moments of Job's life. But now they come back to him and all his sisters. Didn't mention his sisters before. And all who had known him or had, uh, you know, not just casual acquaintances, but those who really knew him, um, literally says they had known his face or they, they knew him, you know, face to face. And so there's that kind of relationship that wasn't so good. The only people we have him interacting with in the course of these last several chapters is uh, eliphaz and bildad and zophar and then elihu came along but where are the other, other people maybe they were in the community behind maybe they were watching listening to all this these conversations but now they came not just for the purpose of passing judgment not for the purpose of of uh, you know, satan you have know, seen the the hottest news in town here's job the greatest of the sons of these ah look how the tides have turned and he must be a notorious sinner after all and now they come and realize. No, he's the best among us right here. So let's go and, and reconcile with Job and encourage him. It says that they came to console and comfort. These two words are used back in chapter 2. Remember when the, the three friends came, they came to console and comfort. These are kind of the, the external um, display of grief and the internal kind of, uh, or maybe not internal, but... but um, spoken. So there's, there's a display of grief, but also a, a spoken comfort that you want to minister to people. So they came with the intent to, hey, you know, give some little bit of relief and, and, and uh, grace to Job. Because even at this point, his situation did not change. It says that they came into his house. Well, Job hasn't been in his house, most likely. Uh, or maybe he goes in at night, who knows, it because he, he talks about, you know, rolling on his bed and not finding any comfort but he doesn't have anything to give them. Food's gone. His servants are, you know, he, nobody listens to him. His servants are estranged from him. His wife, who knows what his wife is up to at this, at this time. And so he came, he hosted, they came, he hosted them. <coughs> they consoled him, comforted him. And notice how it says, they comforted him for all the calamity that Yahweh had brought on him. They recognized, just as Job did at the beginning, Yahweh gives, Yahweh takes away, blessed be the name of Yahweh, and that we should accept not just the good times from God, but also the, the calamitous adverse times. You know, remember Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 13. I've referred to it on various occasions, occasions. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13 says, "'See the work of God,' verse 13, "'for who is able to straighten what he has bent? "'In the day when there is good, be of good cheer.'" But in the day when there is evil or calamity, see or consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man will not find out anything that will be after him. So to, to say this, this is a calamity Yahweh brought, is that an accusation against God? No, it's really not. It's a statement that God is in charge and he gives you know, what we would humanly classify, that's a good thing or boy, that's a bad thing. It's from the hand of God. It is from God's own uh, will and wisdom and power to deliver and it's within bounds even, right? We saw that back in chapter 1 and 2. Satan, you can do this, but don't do this. And Satan, you can do this, but don't do that. So we see that God puts limits on these things as well. We see this in the New Testament, that God does not give us more. And there's some contest about all that thing. That God does not give us more than we can handle. And we can handle all things, right, through Christ, who gives us strength in that context, Philippians 4, whether we're abounding, we have lots of good stuff, or we're abased, we can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So all this is happening. To say that Yahweh brought this calamity, yeah, it was. It's for God's own purpose, God's own glory. Satan was not the instigator. He, you know, he's a stinker, but he was not the initiator of this whole thing. It was God who said, have you considered? Do you know about my servant Job? And Satan sure did know about him. In any event, they came to comfort and console him. Nothing in, in Job's life had changed uh, beyond, uh, it, well, let's say it this way. It's beginning to change in his life. When Job had prayed for his friends, God restored or began to restore the fortunes of Job. Now, notice it says here, each one of his brothers, his sisters, his friends, gave him one casita and each a ring of gold. And you say, I don't know there was Spanish and spoken back in that day. It was not that. This is a, an old an ancient um, probably not even a coin, probably just a weight of silver because it mentions here it was a ring of gold. Usually it would have said it was a casita of silver, but it just assumes that the ring is of gold and the casita is probably of silver. It was some measure we don't even know because it's only mentioned like three times in the the Old Testament, excuse me, uh, where we read about uh, this thing, for example, and it's all in the patriarchal period. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob in Genesis 33, verse 19. That's he used kasita, the the weight of the silver, most likely, to buy a field for burial for his loved ones, and that also is where uh, Joseph was born later, Joseph, um, in Exodus. No, Joshua it would be Joshua 24 they buried the bones of Joseph which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem and the place where their father uh, bought the place for 100 casita in any event so silver and gold as a present to to Job maybe the, the each a ring of gold could be now this is I'm not suggesting this by way of uh, cosmetic uh, appearance and so forth but either this is a nose ring or an ear ring or maybe a finger ring We see examples of all this throughout scripture, not just for women to wear this. I mean, are they giving this gift for Job's wife? Maybe. I mean, he could have used it that way. Was it for Job to wear? I mean, he's got all these these rings. What's he going to do with all that stuff? Well, he's probably going to go to the pawn shop or whatever. He's going to trade them for for, uh, the stuff that he needs to rebuild his life. So when it says that God is restoring his fortunes, well, Job is active in that too, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You do your part. God does his part. He's the one who gives the increase. You do your part. You be obedient to him. You do the things you know you ought to do and pray that God would give the fruit to that and that he would direct uh, as he sees fit. And so he's using these human resources, these natural resources now, to advance his livelihood and, and to be a blessing. It's not just for him. Job was never a selfish man. He was always wanting to bless other people. And so this was an indication of how that turn, uh, humanly speaking, came about. Verse twelve says, again, this doubling that Yahweh did. Yahweh blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Wow! And you know, when God wants to curse, He curses. I mean, there's there's no convolute in that, and He is so creative in how how to curse. And you can read back in, is it Deuteronomy twenty? 9, is that where the curses are? 28 and 29, and the blessings are great. The curses are the inverse of the blessings. And God is so extensive and thorough with his, his cursing. But here he's blessing. And he's blessing practically as it was stated at the beginning of the book, right? In Job chapter 1, how many did Job had? Well, you look here in Job forty-two twelve. it's half of that. He had 7,000 sheep, now he has 14,000. He had 3,000 camels, now he has 6,000 and so on. He's got his stuff back not a mention of servants here there he had some servants going forward a lot of them or some portion of them were were killed or or taken captive perhaps in that whole calamitous event back in chapter one, but here he has his industry back. He has his meat production. He has his transportation. He has his plowing. He has his, his uh, local transportation with the donkeys uh, that work alongside the oxen. He has his livelihood back. He's been restored to this. So this was our second aspect of, of you know, God restored his social standing. Now his, the second category of blessing or turning is his livestock returned to him here in verse 12. And we see, wow, he has an abundance now, it was a gradual reassignment, regathering of these different animals. And, and by the end of his life, then this is what his, his standing was and how much he became a blessing to others. A third category of blessing here in verses 13 and 14 is the family. God blessed his family. And it says he also had seven sons and three daughters. Well, wait a minute. How many did we have beginning at the beginning? He had seven sons and three daughters. Well, how shouldn't he have like 14 sons and six daughters, doubling him? Well, so there's a difference here. We look back at this verse 12. It's doubling the amount of sheep, doubling the amount of camels and oxen and, and donkeys. But wait a minute. Those are animals. Animals aren't like humans. Animals, they die. They're gone. Now, some of the, these were, were killed. Some of them were stolen, like the camels were taken away and, and so forth. But what about, what's different about humans? God had given to Job and his wife, Mrs. Job, seven children, seven sons rather, and three daughters at the beginning. And Job loved them and celebrated them. Now he's doubling them, right, by giving him seven sons and three daughters. Well, wait a minute. Children, humans, live. Not like animals. Animals die. They're done. But humans live. What about those original seven sons and three daughters? They're alive. They're alive. So to double them, you already have 10. Now I'm giving you another 10. Can you imagine what, what joy that is, what confidence that gives to Job? Now he sees, by the end of his life anyway, the doubling of the number of livestock. And, and now he sees and he understands, my children live. The children that I loved, the children that I prayed for, the children that I offered sacrifices for, God has them. God took them from me, but I'll see them again. That expectation would have given comfort to Job and would have just caused him another reason to rejoice in God's kindness. He had seven sons and three daughters, just a blessed number. There's a lot of stuff made about numbers. Numerology can get kind of... um, Weird sometimes in this, but seven is the number of perfection and uh, a divine number, so it's indicating that. Uh, three daughters, beautiful, uh, beautiful daughters. It's mentioned in the next verse, and gave them names. Names. Why aren't the guys names? Well, because God wanted to record the names of the women. Why not? And to say that they were beautiful. Why didn't God say that the seven sons were? What's the saying? If they can't find you handsome, at least they can find you handy. Is that what the thing is? Um, whatever it is, these are seven sons. They're going to be useful. Going to be workers. They're going to be, you know, carry on Job's uh, uh, lineage and the name, you know, son of Job and so forth. But the daughters are what's focused on, and these different names he named them uh, Jemima or Yamima, which has, uh, relates to a turtle dove. He talks about a Kezia, Kezia, that has to do with. Uh, the cassia plant, which is related to the cinnamon plant, so it's kind of a spice. It's kind of a, a nice thing. The turtle dove with its nice sound, its cooing, whatever, and then the the um, the beauty of the aroma. I mean, pretty powerful cinnamon uh, spice. And then the third one is uh, horn of eyeshadow, karen hapuk, which you think, what in the world is that about? And it could relate to the cosmetic itself. You put on your, I mean, it's beauty, right? Or it could be even the container, the, the horn. You know, you, have, you read about horns of oil that are used. So uh, anyway, these, these names have different meanings. Notice it says he named them. And some people will say, well, what about Job's wife? In fact, is it the same woman that we read about back in chapter 2 and, and other places? Uh, or is it somebody else? Because, you know, Job's wife back in that earlier situation said, curse God and die. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? There's no indication one way or another. But making a point out of, well, Job is the one who named him, so obviously the wife is kind of on the outs. No, I don't think so. We see a lot of examples of men naming their children. We also see plenty in this era, you know, from Adam till patriarchal period, we see lots of examples of men. Uh, Cain named his, his son Enoch. Adam named him some, his son Seth. Lamech named his son Noah. Uh, Abram named him his son Ishmael, although Hagar was also told to name him Ishmael. Abram named his son Isaac and, and other examples. We see examples of mamas naming their babes. Usually it's, I mean, there's a lot of examples between Leah and Rachel. Leah gave the son uh, named Reuben and Simeon and Judah and um, Gad and Asher and Issachar and Zebulun and Rachel named the sons Dan and the daughter Dinah or Dina and Joseph and then there's the thing about Benjamin getting named as Rachel's dying and so forth. There's a lot of different examples. I wouldn't make much of a deal out of it. That's Job the one is is naming them. The point is, Job loved his kids and blessed them and was just so, so much rejoicing in them. Verse 15 says, In all the land no women were found so beautiful as Job's daughter, daughters. So not only did God give them to Job, he made them beautiful and beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so whatever that means, and it's not wrong in scripture to note the beauty of a woman. It is wrong to lust after that, but to identify this is a beautiful woman, as, as God has said here in this verse, uh, that, that's a delightful thing. God is the one who makes these things, and there's a beauty in, in, these, in different ways. It could be height, it could be hair, hair color, whatever. It doesn't really matter for our purposes, but these are Famous in all the land, right? No women in all the land were found so beautiful. And Job blessed them with an inheritance, usually. Uh, and again, I get, you, part of the, the difficulty here is we're not exactly sure when this, these events happened. I have suggested along, and I think it's, it's true that this happened in the patriarchal period. Well, if you have your, your biblical timeline, the patriarchal period is before Moses, Well, Moses is when the law was given. And the law has lots of uh, stipulations, regulations about inheritance and all this different thing. And it says inheritance should go to the sons. Now, there's an exception. If there is no son, it should go to the daughter and and so forth. And there was a family that that only had uh, three daughters. And so they petitioned Moses, can we inherit the land in the the sake of our father? And that happened. You can read all about that. But here, Job, it's before all that. Before all that, Mosaic law comes in. So he is the one who's, who's saying, I'm going to, to make them inherit property. And it could be you know, real estate. It could be some of his livestock, some of his camels, these different things. Job said, my daughters will get whether the same share or whatever, some share of my inheritance, just like their brothers do. So he's honoring them. He's just rejoicing. He is being a conduit of blessing. God is prospered me, so I'm going to bless my kids. And, and, and we'll see, it's not just his kids, it is his grandkids and his great-grandkids that God blesses uh, through Job. We see just a grateful heart. We, we see Job not wanting to keep things to himself. I mean, we've, we've heard about this, and maybe you you have experienced this yourself. Folks that have gone through, for example, in America, the Great Depression, not always, but would tend to become hoarders, Not not to the nth degree, maybe, but definitely, you know, I don't want to give that up because I went without for a long time and I don't want to have that, you know, I had nothing, Job could say, and I want to hold on to this. It wasn't his perspective. He wanted to be a blessing to his family, to his community. Remember how important he was back in the day. I mean, just, you can read about that in chapter 29, I think it is, right? Yeah, chapter twenty nine, where he identifies all these wonderful situations. He would go to the city gate, and people, young men and old men, would rise up and say, "Oh, here comes Job. Let's let's listen to what he was going to say." Hey, Job, here's this case over here. We haven't been able to figure out how to adjudicate this thing. Would you help us and give us wisdom? And they would honor him, and they would be so much uh, uh, enthralled with with him and his person and his situation and his 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 uh, character and everything. And Job would bless them, and Job would be be that. He could have been angry. He could have become a bitter old man, right? I mean, everybody's left me, my wife, my brothers. Oh, you come around now, are you? Uh, He could have been that way. He could have been to all these people. But now he's saying, no, God has been gracious to me. How can I withhold from others what he has blessed me with? And he's just so generous, so kind, so uh, much taken with the glory of God that he wants to shed that abroad with other people. Verse 16 says, after this, and here's where the, open to interpretation i guess after this job lived 140 years okay so does that mean that from that moment forward when god began to restore the fortunes that now we're going to count 140 years without touching the microphone is that is that what he's talking about so he had some life and then plus 140 and then he died when he was 140 plus whatever his initial time period was or was it a total of 140 years or if you read the Septuagint, has a whole different number entirely, and um, talks about that. In any event, he's living a long time—140 years—and some people make the point again going to Moses. Moses in uh, Psalm 90, verse 12, I think it is, or not—not not 12. It's earlier in in the chapter in the psalm. He talks about the years of our life are 70, or if due to strength, 80. Yet they're full of kind of strife and, and bad things. So, oh, so 70 is, is the ideal life, right? Lifespan. And so if now God is doubling it, right? 70 plus 70, two times 70 is 140. So maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. We read about different, different people in the scripture, especially in that patriarchal period who lived for a long while, 200 years. Um, Abraham's, Abraham's father, Terah, was 205, Abraham was 175, Isaac was 180, Jacob was 147, Joseph was 110. So whatever it was, God blessed him, gave him that life. He lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. Do you remember though, I mean there was a time when life was not a blessing to Job. He Chapter 3, if we want to go back there, he says, why I was ever born? Why didn't I die at birth? And why am I still alive? And then constantly throughout his speeches, yearning for death. You know, God, just kill me now because I can't stand this. You're away from me. This is horrible. I can't stand my life. This is is bad. And so just kill me. And God says, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you a long life. I'm going to bless you in so many different ways, relationally, uh, with livestock, family, life, and I'm going to give you a good life it wasn 't like God was saying, Sorry, Job, for taking your stuff and killing your people no it's God just saying i've got bigger issues, bigger plans that, that don't just affect you job I'm, it's, it's turning the whole of creation and if you don 't mind, the whole of history because here we are, four thousand years later, reading and studying this this book of job, and we're saying, well, wow, that's profound. We can know God through this, and job is has been continues to be a blessing to People all over the world looking to him and songs are written about Job and and scriptures, New Testament quotes, uh, the friends even, and Job and alludes to different things. Even one of the songs we sang this morning, I think of it in terms of Job. I mean, good grief, God is ordering all these things, whatever song it was, I don't remember. And uh, God is blessing Job in this way. Now notice it says he saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. Wait a minute. Okay, so we start with Job. We saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations. No. I mean, even I can count that That's three, right? Okay, he's just saying the sons of his sons, which could indicate a next generation after that. So you have Job, his sons, his grandsons, his great-grandsons. Don't get caught up on the numbers. You can understand that, what he's saying. What, that's another indication of God's blessing, that these that Job would be able to have that privilege of seeing not just his sons born, but his sons' sons and his sons' sons' sons born. This is a blessing of God such that, uh, in fact, there's a blessing. It's much later, of course, Psalm 128, verse 6. May you see your children's children. May you see your grandchildren. In fact, uh, Proverbs 17 and verse 6, grandchildren are the crown of old men and the beauty of sons is their fathers. And so we see that part of God's blessing, it's not just material, you know, livestock and all that, or gold or silver or social standing, it's kids. Kids are a blessing and grandkids are a blessing. And God just said, I'm gonna bless you in that way. Now you can imagine if Job lived however long, you know, X many years after um, all these situations went on, can you imagine what it was like to go to Grandpa Job's house and to hear him talk about, hey, come over here, let me tell you about Yahweh. And, and he would just, I mean, even if you went back, and, and I know many people love and have favorite, favorite chapters in the Bible, are Job 38, can you imagine Job sitting down with his grandkids and his great-grandkids, and he says, come here, let me tell you, did you know that God stretched a line on the earth Do you know that he put bases down and and pillars up to hold the earth? Do you know that the morning stars sang together when he did that? Do you know when he created all these things? Let me tell you about Yahweh. And maybe he's holding one of his great-grandchildren, and he's wrapped up in swaddling clothes, and he would say, Hey, kids, do you know that God treats the oceans, the seas, like a little baby? Remember in chapter 38, he enclosed the sea with doors. When bursting forth, it went out from the womb, made a cloud its garment, dense gloom its swaddling band. I placed boundaries on it, set a bolt in doors. I said, this far you shall come, but no farther. Here your proud waves shall stop. So Job had all this beautiful material. I mean, that's kind of a crude way to say it, but just all this wonderful, praiseworthy news and information to tell to his kids, his grandkids, his great grandkids, and bragging on God and helping them to know this, this Yahweh, this God who is not... Silent. He's there. He is powerful. He is near. He's a personal God. He spoke to me. He came. There was a, let me, have I told you before? And they, they would say, yes, Grandpa, you told us the story before. But they would listen because Job knew God and he wanted his kids to know him as well. Psalm 78 is a, a key uh, psalm. The whole psalm really celebrates the importance of passing on faith to the next generation. And at the beginning, it says, if I can turn this one page, there we go. It says that, oh, look, and this is a a mascal of Asaph or Asaph, which Psalm 73 we'll look at next week, Lord willing. It's also a psalm of of Asaph, song leader. And he says, Give ear, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I will pour forth dark sayings of old, which we've heard and known. And our fathers have recounted to us, will not conceal them from their children, but recount to the generation to come the praises of Yahweh and his strength and his wondrous deeds that he has done. Job would say that. He's passing on that information to his grandkids, but hopefully he would expect to see his kids say that same thing. What I've heard from my father, I'm passing on to you. And his grandkids, what I heard from my father and my father's father, I'm passing on to you. So that generational transfer of faith and knowledge of God, to have this blessing, to see your sons and your grandsons and your great-grandsons—four generations—is a blessing itself, but it's also a great stewardship. It's not just oh, we get to spoil the children and send them back to their parents. No, you teach them, you raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Oh, that's the father's job. Are you not a great father, a grandfather? What what can you do to raise up faith in your children and your and, and so and so forth? It goes on. Can you have a I mean, are you praying for your, your fifth generation grandchildren? Are you praying that they would be in Christ, that they would, be, they would know God, that they would come to Christ at an early age? All these things. Is it too much to ask? Is it kind of presumptuous? God's interested. I mean, he is interested in generational faithfulness to God. And so Job lived all this time and was so much uh, investing in his kids and his grandkids and so forth. And then it says, and maybe this is a downer. It's not a downer for Job. Verse 17, then Job died, an old man and full of days. We think, well, that's that's not so good, is it? No. To be absent from the body in our day and age is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body in that day was to enter into that place what we would describe as Jesus described in Luke's gospel, Abraham's bosom. To be close to God, to have that not in Sheol, not in the place of the dead, but the place of the living, and that is near God. So Job died. And then, I don't know even then, that he received the full information. Hey, Job, let me tell you about chapters one and two of Job that you don't know about. I don't know that he ever got that information. I guess he could read the scriptures now and figure it out. Uh, But uh, there are things, even in glory, we're not going to be privileged to know. Why? Because the secret things belong to God. And we can be and should be content in what God has revealed to us. The things revealed belong to us and our children that we should keep the words of this law all our days. And so Job says, I finished the course. I fought the good fight. All these things. He died. Now, death, you can view two ways. Physical death. You can view two ways. One is a Curse, which it definitely is. It is a curse. It's something that God never intended to be part of human uh, existence, because it is a separation—not just a separation, a tearing apart of body and and uh, immaterial or soul, spirit, tearing apart these two things that God made to be one. He made us to be a enfleshed or incorporated soul, a, a soul, you know, spirit with with uh, a body, and to have those two things separate. It's not right. It is not right for that uh, that death to occur. It's a curse and God knew that and so he, when that was a punishment for Adam's sin that was a serious serious issue. And that's why the resurrection is so glorious when you have the reunion of soul spirit and not just that old body who wants to go back to their old body. No, the resurrected body, the glorified body just like our Lord Jesus Christ that is glory. Sowed, imper- sowed perishable raised imperishable just beautiful thing so we can view death as a curse definitely that it is something unnatural to our creation something in uh, foreign to god's intention uh, you know full intention for our lives because we have the resurrection but you can also view death as a mercy as a blessing because i mean do you realize i don't know some of you young bucks don't realize this so heartily but we're wearing out. I mean, y'all have a tent. We have an old tent that is pretty worn out, and we don't want to use that anymore. It has holes in it, and you know, people can go in and out, and critters can go in and out, and rain can go in and out, mostly in, right? So it, we just wear out, and who wants to have that body any, any longer than we have to? So death does become a blessing. It does become something that, that uh, we look forward to because it's not just not having to carry on this body of this death, right, Romans 7, but to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. How much better is that? And so Job died. Sad, but hopeful. It's life, even right there. It says he's an old man. Now, fill in your category of how old you think he was. I mean, 140 at least. And he, he, was, he qualified to be, uh, to be elderly. A geriatric case. And it says he was full of days. This phrase, full of days, is used several times in Scripture. Um, not a whole lot, but several. And it talks about Abraham that he died in a good old age, an old man and full of days. And Isaac also died, an old man full of days. And David, a couple of different times, it says he died full of days uh, and some others as well that are that die. And so he was sa- satisfied. Full means sated or, or uh, nothing lacking. He was happy. He, he said, I, the Lord has doubled his blessings. I, you know, blessed be the name of Yahweh. Blessed be his name. I want to bless him. In my assembly, in my family, I want him to be honored in my life. And even in his death, people would gather. Maybe Eliphaz and Bildad and and, uh, Zophar came back to his, his funeral. Or did they die before? I don't know. But these different people who heard about Job, greatest of the sons of the East, do you think his fame, his notoriety waned or grew even more so after this whole situation? I mean, good grief, this is an opportunity for the gospel to be presented even more. The gospel according to Job, right? Hope of resurrection, the hope of of a sacrifice, a mediator that Job anticipated and and told uh, so much about. Ecclesiastes 2, I mentioned chapter 7. but Ecclesiastes 2 says, There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and have his soul see good in his labor. This also I have seen that it's from the hand of God. So Job was encouraged by God's blessing, God's Uh, so much of what we've seen before. But here, this blessing of material goods and and relational um, union and and family uh, blessing, just wow, God is so gracious and and generous to me. And he died full, not empty, as he thought, you know, good people die empty, the wicked people die full. No, Job is here and rejoicing in that. A couple concluding thoughts here. Job was a righteous man who suffered greatly. I mean, just exceptional, Exceptional righteousness, blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil, but exceptional, extraordinary suffering. My good grief, God was, was doing this. And we need to realize, and we've focused on this many times throughout the book, Job, the book of Job is not just about suffering. It's not just about why do the righteous suffer. No, suffering is a, a platform, really, or a, a state of thought or a feeling that leads to bigger questions. When, when bad things happen, you think, well, Why? Why? What? What is God accomplishing? What possibly could God accomplish good out of this? This is bad. But you realize, wait a minute. We're talking about God, aren't we? I mean, why do we, why do, in our suffering, why in our, uh, when God, when, when things are taken away from us, why do people who aren't even godly, why do they bring God in the conversation? And not just in a cursing kind of way, you know, uh, angry against God or, or using him, not relating to him personally, but using his name as a curse word. I don't think a lot of people are doing it that way. They are saying, there's a God and I'm angry with him. Why has he taken my wife? Why Why has he taken my child? Why has he taken my job, my health, whatever? And they realize God is a personal God. Well, suffering leads us to question or to ask questions, not to question God, but to ask questions about him and and look for his wisdom, look for his, his character. What's he like and what's he doing in this world? Does he have any clue what's going on? Does he have any power to do anything? Yes, yes, and that's what God had revealed to Job in the course of these things. So Job had suffering, yes, but that suffering was to lead to bigger questions. And we've seen throughout this that, okay, we can know certain things about our creation and we're even called to study and explore and do things. We can know certain things, but there are other things we can't know unless God tells us. There are so many things that, unless God revealed that stuff to us, we would have no idea, no clue at all. Even in terms of creation, we can explore and design it, or not design it, but discover things about creation. But in terms of its operation, really, why does it, I mean, we can know what happens, but why does it go this way? Because of God's design, because of his control over every element of creation. Even in terms of justice, which is another big question in this whole book we cannot fully understand and execute justice. It's not to say that we shouldn't try. We need to have just weights and just measures and justice for evildoers and justice for the widow and so forth. But ultimately, you remember when God says, okay, let me see how you exercise justice over the whole creation for just one day, maybe just 10 minutes. Let's see how Joe, you know, dress yourself for action and get out your strong right arm and let's see how you manage for a change. I can't do it. God, you know I'm, I can't. Okay, so we cannot fully understand execute justice, but we can trust god's wisdom, power, and authority to execute justice in his time, and hey, we can learn through suffering, and we say, well, i'd really much rather learn through other people's suffering, God, if you don't mind, I really had benefited from this job study because I saw what he what about suffering that he may bring into your own life, uh, and I may and maybe different than from what you see in other people's lives. Not that we should become envious. And say, I'd rather have their suffering than what I'm going through. God is in charge. He knows what's best for you. He knows how to build your faith in him, your rest, your trust in him. We cannot fully understand God, but we can trust him and worship him and draw right up close to him and say, God, you are my God. I will rest in you. If you don't mind, last verse. And I verse is excuse me. And I will pray uh, to conclude our study. But all these things, all of what Job went through, both his exceptional righteousness and his exceptional suffering, and the intercession that he made for his friends, who even were his enemies, his troublesome or terrible counselors, and all this kind of thing, points to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just read a little bit from Isaiah 53. Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If you would place his soul as a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He'll prolong his days, and the good pleasure of Yahweh will succeed in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide for him a portion with the many. He will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured his soul out to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. Job points us to Christ. Realize he suffered for his enemies so that we can have life in his name, and God blessed him and blesses us through him. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for this life, this message of life and even of death of Job, but of eternal life through the knowledge of your Son. We're grateful for the truth of your word. We can rest in that, and we can find great comfort through our sufferings, with the sufferings of our family and friends. We know that you are not just in it, you are behind it, you're under it. You are wisely directing all affairs to accomplish your glory, to advance your glory, to an accompl- and to accomplish our good. Please help us to rest in that. We don't want to become complaining or arguing or finding fault with you. You are good. There's no fault in you. And Maybe there's fault with us. Maybe there's things we need to confess and, and, uh, and uh, remove from our lives, but ultimately we know that Whatever it is in our lives, you are doing it for your glory and to advance your purposes on earth. We thank you for our study in the book of Job. Please help us as we apply it, we think about it, we sing about it. We, it really affects our whole view of life going forward and how we relate to Christ and our beautiful uh, Savior, the one who is the lifter of our head, the one who is our resurrection. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We thank you for each one who is here. Again, we pray that you'd save and sanctify for your glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.